Super Duty Tough Work, man. Yeah. <laughs> ATL version. Ah, uh, yeah. 8 a.m. version. Man. Woo. I'm, I'm usually up this time, so. I know. You're getting your dad on, man. Yeah. <laughs> For the people at home, I got my guy Superstition. Yeah, what's going on, y'all? You know, y'all might remember Superstition from the Kingdom Crown tour. The infamous Yes, tour. the infamous tour. Um, I'm in ATL right now. I'm at his, at his house, you know, just hanging out. That's right. And I slept on the couch last night. Yeah. Woke up like, yeah, we doing Super Duty. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored, you know. I, I feel like the fan that made it because I listen every week. I was like, I finally get to be on Yeah, we pulled you out the stands. Right, you know. You know? <laughs> like Rudy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the movie Rudy. Right. Yeah, man. No, it's good to be here. Uh, last night, you had a show with uh, Rod Digger. Mm-hmm. Lyric Jones yeah. at 529 and I'm here in town working on a, a, a documentary project and uh, I was interviewing him for that and so we're down here just doing it in the ATL man you know lovely city of ATL yeah man it's uh early he got children so everybody yeah. was up before me right because <laughs> I'm up at five every morning anyway man yeah because I like to because I'll go you know nine to five I like to go to nine to five early and be out of there yeah. So, you know, basically I'm off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I just get all mine in through Monday through Thursday or, you know, I work from home and I just I just chill. Just work from home. That's a good boxes. setup, actually. It, it is, bro. You know, uh, I, I, we had flex time at my job, my previous job, mm-hmm. but we didn't have that kind of flex time. Right. It wasn't right. that flexible, like a five-hour window. Right. They were like, yeah, you can come in between, like, seven and nine no well look well, mine is just like you look as long as you get your 40 hours you'll be all right and we won't come we won't come looking for you so that's beautiful man yeah. people still screw that up though getting fired when they can come in right. at any time exactly hey guys here's the window five to ten guys like hey i'm coming in 11 30 i guess five is off the table if you out drinking right exactly if, if you ain't man. doing what you're supposed to be doing five yeah. o'clock is might as well be telling you, you right but only thing is if you you work from home you can work from home so if you're yeah. drunk the night before yeah just call them in the morning and say hey i'm gonna work from home all you got to do is turn your laptop on and keep the mouse moving yeah <laughs> you know as long as it doesn't time out <laughs> then you could so they need to come up with a script that just makes that joint just right exactly do this so. Move from the top to the bottom of the screen. Exactly. For work life. Yeah, yeah. The fake mouse moving script. <laughs> right. <laughs> so exactly. you don't get fired. <laughs> exactly. It might be something to invest in, man. Yeah, I'm gonna come up with that, man. <laughs> get a lot of people fired. Right, you know. man. <laughs> Put your mouse on some little circular motion thing. It just rotates around yeah. or whatever. You're like, oh, okay, this is dope. Man. He's doing something. Right. You know? <laughs> and they log in and see your screen that you're really not doing yeah. anything. Just pray they're not recording some keystrokes or some <laughs> shit. They, you're, you're doomed, man. Yeah. You're fired. <laughs> oh, man. So so today, so today we're going to do a different episode, man. Uh, last time I, I was in uh, Orlando, we had my dude Swamburger on. And we were talking about, uh, what's that, shows and, and how to not get booked again. And so, you know, I've known Supa for a long time. Uh, met Supa back in 2002, 2003. I think it was 2003. Because mm-hmm. I came through Charlotte in 2002 with Atmosphere. And then uh, then we got booked. Me and Elijah came back 2003. Right. I think when The Weight Room came out. So it was me, Elijah, and Prison. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And, and I've known Supa for a long time. And so, you know, when he toured with me this last year, you know, it wasn't like some random thing. You know, he and I have always kept in touch and done music together. And, uh, uh, since then so I was always like I want to get him on something that yeah, I do yeah. and so uh, you know I, I know things about his career that some people don't know and one of the most interesting facts about his career is that Superstition is the only artist I know who's been on multiple labels who owns all of his catalog hey, Right. and people at home might not know how significant that is yeah. but i can tell you as an artist yeah. who's been on different labels it's not the common scenario they're gonna learn today <laughs> yeah yeah they can learn how and why you yeah know what I mean? man. there's always a reason why yeah and, and it is beautiful because you know i even mentioned it to uh last night uh we were talking outside right before you walked up mm-hmm. me and book brown and i was like do you know that superstition is the only person <laughs> right. who owns all of his catalog. Yeah. And, you, and she was like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Hey, <laughs> it's, it's a couple of people out there, but it's it's not a lot, man. And yeah. if you ever want to know, just start talking master. Ownership of masters in a room. 
and watch how quiet it gets. Yeah, you know? yeah. People so, don't want to have that convo with you. Right, right. Exactly. Because you know, they know that they, they albums are just in that vault. Right. Yeah, they'd be like, but I got this money, though. Yeah. I got this money, though. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on such and such label. They can have bragging rights. But right. as we see, like, ownership is very, very important. So this week, we're going to talk about the importance of ownership, man. And uh, live from ATL, Blueprint and Superstition. And we'll be right back. We got you stuck off the realness, the most infamous, you heard of us, official podcast murderers, the show comes equipped with few points to share, grown man ideas for all those who care and want to grow, so go ahead and download, every single week with a brand new episode, you're not alone in this world cousin, so we share information and honest discussion, and keep repping the culture, like we supposed to, they spread gossip but they never come close to, I can hear it inside their tone, they talk about the industry but never left their home you get laced up with bullet points and such plus empowering topics that they never would touch you can put your whole network against the team but super duty tough works the mvp most valuable podcast on mp3 priceless info but all of it's free so take these words home and think them through super duty tough work is coming at you now listening to Super Duty Tough Work with your host, Blueprint, raw and uncut, adult conversations, no shucking, no jiving, and no bullshit. Alright, Super Duty Tough Work, the most infamous, we back, Yeah, you know. You know what's dope is that. I was on tour with you when the first episode, when y'all did the first episode, I remember you talking about uh, Super Duty Tough Work, and I was like, yo, that's a dope name. <laughs> like like I knew exactly where it came from. So I kind of saw this take shape, like the the early episodes of it, man. Shout out to my man, Groove. What up, Groove? Yeah, what up, Groove? Probably at home listening. Groovester. Yeah, man. Uh, so we want to talk about, you know, the importance of ownership, man. This is one, this is, we're going to speak about it in terms of artistry and things of that nature because we're obviously artists mm-hmm. but i think this can apply to a lot of different areas and uh i want to give you five uh, very important reasons why you should be thinking about ownership as an artist and uh you know the first reason we're going to get into is artistic freedom yeah a lot of artists if you look at the whole uh scope of music from underground to major label what you find is that very few artists seem to be able to say what they want to say, <laughs> do what they want to do right. with their art. There are issues where you see guys talking about, I wanted to collaborate with such and such, but the label wouldn't clear it. Right. I wanted to collaborate with such and such, but the management didn't like me. Right. I wanted to do something with them, but then they didn't think it was a good look. Yeah. Ironically, at the show last night when Rod Digger got on stage, I don't know if you were outside or what, but she said, uh, you guys know a certain version of my my first album. She was like, but I'm going to perform the version that I liked. What? And she was like, <laughs> she was like, you know, because I wanted to put out the Pete Rock joint as my first single, the Knots joint as my first single. But she was like, I had to go with the Rockwiler joint. Because, wow. you know, sitting in meetings with labels and they're telling me, no, this is what's going to work for you. But like you said, it's your artistic freedom and your expression. So it, it never feels good to kind of be bullied, <laughs> you know. That's deep. And I totally missed that because yeah. I, I didn't. I missed her first song. She was rapping when I, I yeah, looked yeah, up. I was yeah. like, oh, shit, that's yeah, Rod Digger exactly. on stage. Yeah. <laughs> she's way taller than I thought. Right. Like, I thought she was going to be a little shorty. Yeah. I mean, she's on stage, but she looks way taller than I thought. Right, like, right. Wow, Rod Digger's kind of big. She's not like a little, little shorty. Yeah, she's from Jersey. You got to be survival out there, man. <laughs> big ass broad, you know. So, uh, no, nah, that's very true, man. Like, we hear that's a common story. Mm-hmm. When you're on a label, you don't have final say. No. The label has final say because they are the ones putting up the money. They are cutting the check <laughs> at the end of the day. It's like living in a house with with people and you're the one that pays all the bills, yeah. but they want to tell you how things are going to go in the house. You're like, no, I pay the bills here. So at the end of the day, that's what it's like. It's like being in the label's house. You, yeah. know? you can talk all of that, but when it's time to, to do what you're supposed to do, man, they get the final say-so on it. So Yeah, and, and a lot of artists, as you're starting out, you may not even think of this scenario. You may not even be there yet because you're thinking, I get to create what I want. Mm-hmm. And if people like it, cool. Yeah. And, but in the back of your mind, many of you are thinking, I want to be on a label. 
I want to be signed to whoever, TGE, Rhyme Sayers, yeah, yeah. all of these labels that you think are the cool labels yeah. that give their artists total artistic freedom. Right. And I could tell you, even as an artist on Rhyme Sayers, you don't, you, certain artists may have artistic freedom, but even artistic freedom from even their top artists, they have to send those records to the staff at the right. label. And the staff sits around and says, you know what? This is the single. Yeah. No, yeah. that's the single. Yeah, right. He wants to put that as a single? Right. Nah, we're thinking this one as a single. <laughs> and, and you have to be prepared for other people who are writing the check mm -hmm. to tell you what to do with your art. Right. You it's, know? It's no longer just your art. Oh. When you when it when you're basically incorporated in and make it a business, it's everybody's art. It's you know, it's public domain at that yeah. point. Like <laughs> Yeah. Did you have any any label situations where like they were more hands-on with your stuff than others no not really um the, like the main reason if i could go into this the main reason why i learned to own all of my own music was people don't know but i think at the age of 18 or 19 i signed a, a fucked up deal mm. with uh with uh, you know uh shout out to david dmx yeah but it got me <laughs> so i think I signed like a five album deal with no advance and the percentages was broken down as if it was like a major label. So I was probably making like a, a few percent off it. And I remember taking it to dime per record. Right. You know, I remember I remember taking it to this uh, entertainment. Uh, well, he wasn't even an entertainment attorney because I lived in Greenville, North Carolina back then. Yeah. So that's my hometown. And this guy did like. He was just a lawyer, but he, he knew a little bit about the entertainment business. So I paid him like a hundred or so bucks. He sat down, read through it. All he said was, yeah, it's standard. <laughs> and I was, he didn't ask me what I wanted or said, anything. The standard deal. So I was like, okay, cool. And at that time I had like a little crew and they kind of convinced me like, hey man, if you take this deal, you know, man, we could all be on. So I kind of <laughs> took one for the team, not knowing it was probably the one one of the worst record deals but i guess at that time it was it was standard yeah because you know for for artists who didn't really have much or whatever man and i remember being in that deal for about five years so it was like from 18 to like 20 yeah because if wow. you look like when seven years of bad luck came out in 2002 like i was just getting out of that deal basically and i remember an attorney told me look man they own your likeness like you can't even, you know, you can't even go out and promote yourself like that. They own your name. They own all of your music. I was like, what do I do? So he said, well, you can change your name and just kind of grind it out until then. And that's what I did. And during that time, I, I kind of equated to being it's equivalent to being in prison. When people go to prison. Yeah. All they think about is how I can get out. <laughs> All the, all the tricks in the system or how 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 can I never end up in this position it again? turns you with the Andy Dufresne. Right, exactly. And that's what I was. So when I came out of there, like I read all those music industry books back yeah. then or whatever, any little seminars or whatever I went to, I was just like, yo, I can never end up in this position because it's like being stuck in a bad marriage and you can't get out of it, mm. you know? And you just got to wait it out. You got to wait till the kids turn 18, basically. Mm. So that's what that's what it felt like. Man. So that was a five year lesson. Yeah, five year. I'm talking a five album deal. Yeah, at the age of eighteen. Yes, which is even crazier. Yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, because on one hand, the average eighteen year old will sign anything you put in front of them. Right. Because they right. just don't have the, the mentorship or the experience to even right. know that. Hey, man. Yeah. You're young, and if you're talented, you're gonna get another one of these. And then the label was from New York, so back then it was like, oh, the labels in New York, they've got to be official, you know. <laughs> you know, rap is in New York, right? right? You know, yeah. that's where hip hop is, is. hip hop, right? <laughs> like if they could have been in Atlanta or anywhere else back then, yeah. and that was in the '90s, so if they could have been anywhere else, I would have been like, nah, I'm cool. I'm, I remember it was like a, a label from Connecticut that tried to sign me when I was like 16. Yeah. My boys was like, they're from Connecticut. Like, <laughs> why so, would you, you know, do that? Exactly. Like, who's in Connecticut? So. <laughs> Like people with uh, good deals, right? You know, exactly. maybe someone with a better deal, right? Is in and then like the label owner too, uh, David DMX. He had like, you know, he was like a, a producer for Run DMC, DJ for Curtis Blow, all these people. So I was kind of caught up in that too, and that's one thing I try to encourage artists. And I, you know, I had a, a friend of mine. I tried to warn him like, don't deal with that label. He was like, but it's so and so's label. Like I've always wanted to work with them. I was like, bro, when you go into this business, you got to remove the fan aspect of it and yep. think from a business standpoint. Totally. And, and, you know, we had situations where, you know, when we were trying to sign other artists and waitlist back in the, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s, there were artists who 
wouldn't mess with us, I think, because we were from Ohio. Right. And we know right. some situations yeah. where, like, cats went with the New York label. Yeah, exactly. And we were offering better everything. We were right. trying to do 50-50 with everybody, yeah. you know, just the best deal. Yeah. We, they were going to so, own their stuff. And uh, they would turn us down, I think, because mm-hmm. we didn't have the prestige yeah. as the New York thing. Yeah. But they would have had a shot at ownership. Yeah. but And that's that one thing that... And also, they were probably a little bit more visible, and and it's like something we've talked about kind of off air is that people judge fame as success, you know. So they may see this label or these artists being more visible, but they're not necessarily the ones making the money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the the driving force behind them is, is is making the money a lot of times. So it's true, and it, yeah, it's just not worth it, man. Like I've, uh, I, I try to tell people like, look, you don't have to own everything in your catalog, but ownership should be in the front of your mind definitely in everything you do right because you got to understand that business ownership is a driving force of business right the person who owns it controls how everything happens Mm -hmm. in every aspect of business and and whether that's a record label or any other thing and i think a lot of artists are so busy like you're saying being caught up in the fame of it instead of the actual functional functionality of that relationship mm-hmm. that they just get lost right and i you know it's like with artists too man it's like home ownership like renting versus owning like there are certain benefits certain benefits that you have as basically when you sign to a label that basically when when you're exclusive to a label it's basically like you're renting a home you know yeah. you can do certain things but you know you can, you can paint those walls but at the end you got to change them back there's yep. certain things that they say you can't do but as far as a homeowner, you can do whatever you want. It's your house you're paying for, it, and that's how it is when you're truly independent and you own your own masters or whatever. So you you know, just having that freedom, man, is yeah, is a great feeling. So. And to, to add on to that metaphor of homeownership, home ownership in many instances, your rent is the same as what it is <laughs> right. for renting. Yeah, but you have way more responsibilities mm-hmm. as a homeowner. Yeah, right. So not Definitely. only so when you're renting, you have to do less. Like you're saying, something breaks, someone else comes and fixes. Right. Something goes bad, they tell you where to go, what to do. Call this number and it'll go away. <laughs> Problem disappears. Right. When you're a homeowner, that doesn't exist. Yeah. Like something breaks, you have to figure out how to fix it. Or you have to call somebody who can figure out how to fix it. Get all the estimates. Do it yourself. And uh, you, no one's going to cut your grass for you yeah. just because you have a mortgage. No, that's yeah. not part of the deal. The bank right. don't come and cut your grass. <laughs> you cut your grass. Right. And that's how being independent is and owning your, your material versus, you know, having someone else do it and right. being in a label deal. And I think record deals are initially just for people who only want to be artists. Yeah. You know, and and because and there's a lot of guys that we know, they just want to show up and rap. Yep. And I did you want to go to the studio party afterwards want to go to a show party afterwards they don't want to deal deal with any type of you know administering publishing or, or anything like that booking they don't want to do anything that man and one of those things i realized was that why why should i pay people and hire people to do things that i can do for myself so yeah yeah it's true it's true i mean it, it's a lot it's a whole different ball game and and i hope people are kind of picking this up um and we're not speaking from the position of like two dudes who hate labels or would never sign right, the right, right deal. We got to right. put that out there. Yeah. I think it's more that if you're going into these situations, you should know everything that's out there. Mm-hmm. Not just like, oh, well, getting signed is the best solution. Nah, you can. I'm a tr- true believer that you can only understand getting signed once you've understood the mechanics of putting out your right. own stuff. When you put out your own projects once or twice, that lets you know everything that a label does. Mm-hmm. Then and only then can you truly appreciate what a label brings to the table. And then you can sign the right deal, if at all. Yeah, this is one of the only fields and careers that you can enter in and not know. App. You, you don't have to know <laughs> anything about the business at all. Like there's guys I know been in the business for 20 years, yeah. don't know anything about it. It's like, can you imagine going to a doctor and all he can do is diagnose you. He can't tell you about healthcare. No. Nah. He can't tell you what medicine to give you. Hey, I'm not a pharmacist. Just <laughs> the pharmacist will tell you. It's just like, oh, man, like, you know, if you don't know the business, you're thinking everybody is jerking you. There's so many artists that we've seen in the past, like the locks and other people like that, who have always, you know, say, well, this label jerked us. This, no, you you sign that deal yourself yeah, without yeah. really knowing, yeah. you know. So and that's one thing that I had to realize, like nobody jerked me on that first deal. That's something that I 
knowingly went into, you know, without understanding, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to, to touch on that Rod Digger situation, there are hundreds of albums we've heard about over time that the version that came out mm-hmm. wasn't the version that they said they were. My worked first on. album was, yeah. <laughs> you know, my first album. It's crazy because even though I own that album, like they kind of finessed me. I turned in one album. And, you know, I turned in the album and the acapellas and everything. But when that album came out, they had removed like half of the production and added their own. So when I heard the album, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know what I'm saying? And just to think like if that was a major label, there would be nothing that I can do about it. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So. Mm -mm. So, yeah, that's that's number one. Number one uh, reason uh, that uh, ownership is important, man. Artistic freedom, man. We're going to do number two. Number yeah. two. And this is one we kind of touched on. Uh, but number two is financial freedom. Mm. Fools don't understand <laughs> the financial freedom you have when you own your own uh, creations. Mm-hmm. And, and let's let's go back to the show last night as a small example of that. What we noticed when we got there was that none of the artists on the bill were selling Merchandise. merchandise. Typically, when you go to a show, you'll have a merch section where artists are selling their stuff or have a merch person. Uh, you know, Rod Digger has put out many albums. Right. And sometimes when you go to see like major label artist shows uh, uh, like 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 a Rod Digger, you see no one selling any merch. Right. And the reason you don't is because they don't have the financial freedom to sell their own. Exactly. Our label steals own, still owns it. And a lot of people don't know that there are artists out there that when they put out these albums on on labels, a lot of times they have to buy that album from the label at a wholesale price. Yes. Uh, You know, if you say, hey, I'm going on tour, I need 300 copies. They're like, well, all right, we'll sell them back to you at two or three dollars a copy. Yeah. And you're thinking like this is. This is my art. Yes. You know, and, and that's just a it's just a realization that it's not it, it belongs to the label. Yeah. So when and when I show up at the merch table, you know, I have all my releases, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there just slanging everything. And people are just like, wow, man, you still have all this. I'm like, yeah, I got it all tucked away. Yeah. Safely. So. Yeah. And you you now have a freedom that they don't have. Like if you would imagine a, an artist like Rod Diggers playing a room last night, it was what maybe 150 cap room yeah, last yeah. night. But it was packed. Yeah, yeah. If you could imagine, all of those people who came to see her already probably would have spent ten dollars on a new album had mm-hmm. she have had it. Right. Had someone there, she probably could have made another five hundred to a thousand dollars. Right. Just off of the merch sales. Yeah. And at- for me personally, I don't see any reason for me to do a show unless I'm selling merchandise. I mean, if it's a, if you're an artist out there and you're making twenty grand a show. Right. All right, cool. You can just have enough to bank off of. But it's just like when you go out there and you're performing, like you can't just assume that everybody knows who you are and everybody has your music. Like what about uh, fans that brought friends that yeah. heard you for the first time? Now they might want to copy of your album. And so buying impulse buying and, and selling things like in that moment. It's some of the best uh, sales that you can get or whatever, man. So it's like you got to think I don't have merch. So now they've got to go home, search for me, deal with all the distractions of the Internet or whatever. And then they may forget who you are or just, you know, may not support. So it's just best to have that music there with them. Yeah. And another area of financial freedom, like you talked about, you have to. So for Rod Digger, if she wanted to actually sell her albums last night, she would have had to call the label. Right. Talk to their, you know, that whoever department, accounting department, say, hey, I want to I want 100 copies of my album. Yeah. And if they had those records, assuming they didn't already destroy them, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. they have no incentive to keep them. Right. Uh, they'll keep her in contract, but won't keep them. Then they would say, OK, cool. We'll sell these to you at five dollars a record. Right. You know, because yeah. we get five dollars a record. You can sell them at 10 if she's lucky. Yeah. And then as an artist, you think now you just bought that album for five dollars from a label. <laughs> now you got to go to your merch table and up the price. And people looking like, man, why are your CDs? Fifteen dollars. You know yeah. what I mean? Or, or ten dollars. Yeah. And so and then you're always dealing with people who don't quite have all the money. So you can't even cut them a break on it. Yeah. A lot of times, man, like it, because of the lack of overhead, you know, I can cut deals with people at the table, yeah. or whatever, and not really take a loss like that. But when you're dealing with that situation, man, it's, it's yeah. rough. Man. Yeah. And I have the same situation with my titles. Like I have certain titles that I've put out myself. Mm-hmm. And then I have titles through rhyme sayers. Right. And sometimes people will be at the merch table and say, Print, why can't I get 
1988 for just $5. And I'll be like, well, because it cost me $5 exactly. to get it from them. Right. And if I sell it to you for $5, it's it's a loss. Yeah, it's I a still loss gotta pay you. them, right? <laughs> exactly. I just gave you the album. Right. Why don't I just give it to you? Yeah, because five dollars it is, isn't doing anything yeah. for me. <laughs> man. You dumb. know, and, and that's that's because they own that album. Now there will come a point where I can get that album back. Right. Which is great. You know what I'm saying? But prior to that, I have yeah. to play by the rules which is determined by whoever owns it. Right. And if you look at, like, say, your Bandcamp page, like, mm-hmm. if you go look at Superstitious Bandcamp page, because he owns all those records, when he gets paid, he doesn't have to split that with anybody. Nobody. And because he doesn't have to split that, it gives him more, he, he, he can actually change the prices to whatever he mm-hmm. wants on any platform. Right. He can say, you know what? This month on Bandcamp, you can get all my albums for 50 bucks. Right. And no one takes that loss. Yeah. No one has to. He hasn't. No one can tell him no. He owns those records. Yeah. I can do that with the ones that are on my Bandcamp, but I can't do that across my whole catalog because all of my catalog is not owned by me. Yeah. And another thing too, I tell people like, don't just think about the album itself because the biggest checks that I've ever gotten haven't been from albums. It's been from licensing things, licensing things for you know for ESPN and Nike and Scion and different things like that. You know, if you don't own that music. They they can't go to you. They can't yeah. reach out to you. You know, um, you look at um, like um, uh, services like Sound Exchange that go by and collect like digital royalties and streaming uh, royalties and things like that. The very first question they asking you when you're filling out is who owns the masters. It's very you true. Know? And if you don't own the masters, they're like, why are we talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we need to talk to the owner of the masters. You know, it's like coming to your house, man. Like. Are you the owner of the home? It's true. No, but I live here. No, we need to speak to the owner of the home, all right? <laughs> You're not even in this conversation. You have no rights. Right. You have you no know. rights. Exactly. Even as a, as a citizen. Yeah. It's very that's a great point, man. Yeah. Like yeah, as a citizen, you yeah. don't you can't tell anybody anything. <laughs> right. Oh, you don't own this place? Yeah. The deed's not in your name? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. You're not even in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Nah, that's so deep. It's so deep, man. But it's so true, man. You can't tell nobody nothing. Yeah. And they treat you as such. Yeah, and they do, man. <laughs> I tell people that uh, basically when you, if you're a new artist and you're out um, trying to get a record deal, it's, it's like going to a car lot to buy a car, but your credit score is like 400 <laughs> and you want that Mercedes. Yeah. You may go there looking for that Mercedes and no money, but they're going to tell you, look, we're going to give you this Geo Tracker that we've yeah. that we've been sitting on this lot for 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 a while and you have joint. you have no negotiation powers <laughs> or whatever. And so labels know, and not to say that labels are out there they're savages or anything, but a lot of times they know that people are desperate. And one thing that I realize in the music industry is that sometimes you get so dead set on things like you ignore all of the red flags yeah like there's been times guys will come to me like hey man you work with this label what are you thinking i'm saying nah you don't really want to work with them if you're looking for this blah 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 they didn't do this right they didn't do this right and all they could say is but you had a record deal <laughs> it's just like yo i could have told you i lost my arm in this record signed, deal though. i was... filed for bankruptcy <laughs> i lost my car they'd be like yo but you were signed though so don't let that desperation walk you into a bad situation like it did me and my first record deal man. yeah like boy no that's that's so deep man like, we had a similar situation with uh with a greenhouse record the, the uh columbus or bus situation that was the first time because we had been doing so well independently that labels were stepping to us like what do you guys have coming up we're interested in a licensing deal of whatever and so this label stepped to us and we and we wanted a bigger distro deal but we couldn't get the bigger distro deal but these labels who didn't have the bigger distro deal wanted records from us yeah the irony right you know like we, we were trying to get with caroline i think at the time mm-hmm. and they were like the biggest the biggest back then yeah. and uh they were they were distributing labels who were smaller than us and we we're just like yo Caroline, what's up? And we would we knew their names. Yeah. We would exchange emails every few months and they would tell us the same thing. Like, I don't know, guys. We just don't know. We don't know. Let us keep us in touch. You yeah. know, tell us what you guys got coming up. But yeah. uh, we don't know. Yeah. 
meanwhile, all of their labels are hollering at us mm-hmm. for our artists. Like, yeah. hey, we, we want to holler at you, Blueprint. Hey, what's up with the Logic? What's up with Greenhouse? You guys are doing great over there. You guys got a great fan base. We're looking at your your metrics. is crazy over here. <laughs> your tour, you know, and we're like, why can't we get to? So we're like, okay, what do we do? Maybe we'll do, we'll give up one record and do what's a, a piggyback deal to where we'll do like a licensing deal for this record through one of the labels that Caroline distributes. So it's basically like you're riding off of someone else's distro deal. Right. You don't have a direct deal. We did that for the Columbus or Bus record. We had to, it was everything looked official. We got the contract, we had meetings in other cities, yeah. all the calls. It was like, yeah, we're gonna do this, this, this. We're gonna do this on this date, this on that date. None of the stuff they promised they did. None of it. <laughs> of they, course. they put the record out the week after 1988 came out. Mm-hmm. Which we were Ooh. like, why would you do that? Yeah, why? Why? That's yeah, bad. Yeah, without telling us, right. it was just on shelves. We're like, this is not what we agreed to. You know, they never gave us. So they piggybacked off of you then. Yeah, completely. <laughs> completely. They were like, we're going to ride this wave and get them to promote this record as well. Mm-hmm. And and they also did that so they wouldn't have to fulfill their contractual stuff. So they put it out way before they are supposed to in a form that we didn't agree with because they didn't want to pay us the advance or the rest of the stuff so you end up skipping all that stuff and then we were lucky you know it was a, a bad situation but we were lucky because they actually folded a year or two later mm-hmm. yeah and because they folded they had never got to put our stuff on itunes or, or right. get all the so you were never in that system so. yeah we were never completely it's hard to get out of that system oh. like what uh, a lot of my earlier releases like the uh, deadline and the chain letters like i had to basically try to get them out of the system so yeah. that i could get them back into the system and it was just it's a complicated issue man yeah yeah it's crazy but yeah we got lucky and now we own those records right. simply because they went out of business yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we just were like yeah. we're taking this thanks bro right right <laughs> <laughs> you can't afford to do nothing with it yeah you don't even have a staff anymore yeah thanks for that. <laughs> exactly. yeah so we'll take a break and we'll come right back cool What's up, everybody? Blueprint here to remind you that my latest project, the Vigilante Genesis EP, is available right now on Weightless Recordings. The EP is a collaboration between myself and my friend Aesop Rock, which features myself on the rhymes and Aesop Rock on production. If you are a fan of concept albums, comic books, or just good old hip hop, then this EP is for you. Vigilante Genesis is available on signed CD, blue vinyl, and deluxe digital exclusively at waitlist.net. So order your copy today. Thanks again for your support. Yeah, we're back again. ATL uh, version. Most iconoclastic. Yes, the most infamous. <laughs> the most infamous. <laughs> So y'all know I listen. I know all the catchphrases and yeah. everything. <laughs> One time for my people in the back. Tell them again. Damn. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. We live in Atlanta, man. I'm here with my guy Superstition, and uh, I hope y'all are getting something out of this because this is not anything you're hearing on any other podcast. Right. And and I I really say that every week, and I truly mean it. I feel like we're trying to provide value that no one else is is providing out there man and and if you're a newer artist or if you're an artist of any sort you don't even have to be a hip-hop artist this goes across all spectrums what we're talking about and uh you know naturally let us know on you know what you guys think of this on on i wish more artists and you know like you've got people doing all type of podcasts uh artists attorneys everything it's like yo you should should be some type of uh podcast or something where artists can go through weekly you know a lot of times they tell uh they just tell the cool stories when they get on yeah. podcasts they tell them you know about the party stories what was it like to work with biggie yeah. or you know or you know dilla different things like that which is very important but at the same time we have a lot of a lot of artists out there that are losing financially and in this day and age when the music game is drying up and there's not a lot of money left like you, pro- you probably want to pay attention and, and, and do your research on things, man. Yeah, I agree. Survival out here. I agree. And I think that's part of the reason why we started kind of doing these shows, man, is because, you know, we feel that void ourselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. there was no one telling us any of this when we were coming up. Mm-hmm. If this would have existed when we, in, in, in 2001, 2002, 
man, we would have been doing some completely right. different things. And if you think about the most knowledge that you've gained is probably through other artists and their experiences and their situations. You talk before shows or, you know, you build friendships with these artists and you just kind of go back and forth and you realize, man, you went through that. And you could be in a similar situation or for something that may be in a you know unforeseen future. So. Yeah, it's so true, man. So so this week we talking about ownership, the importance of ownership. And uh, we got to get deep into this one. This is one that a lot of people don't think about when they think about ownership. Because when most people, artists are thinking about it, they're just thinking about, I just want a record deal. And you can get a record deal. But when you don't own something, you miss this number three reason why it's important and that is the ability to pass down an asset right now i'm a homeowner and i run a label two different areas but sides of the same coin (laughs) i look at my the properties i'm rehabbing like okay well or my home like okay the goal is to pay this off so that i can pass it down Mm -hmm. to my family And so that my family's life is made easier. And at that point, whether they are able to benefit from uh, not having to pay rent, you know, more stable home situation, or maybe they choose to rent it out as a rental property and have passive income that is facilitated by the fact that I own it, that somebody sacrificed at some point to own that asset. Now, that's just property. And everyone gets that metaphor. But I find that a lot of artists and people in the music industry completely overlook that albums are the same things. Mm -hmm. Albums are assets which you have an opportunity to own, which if done properly can make you money for the entire career that you're there Mm -hmm. and long after your career. Right. And don't just think about the current your current state or your current status, because that's what gets a lot of people is that. Uh, you know, they give up ownership because they don't have a lot. You know, if you look at uh, situations like, you know, I've heard stories about Notorious B.I.G. and the locks Mm -hmm. giving up their publishing. But you got to think if you come from nothing and somebody offers you one hundred thousand dollars for your publishing, you don't really know what publishing is. You're like, yo, this is the most money I've ever had up front. So you take that money. I mean, you can flip it and do things like that. But you think about what's one hundred thousand dollars versus the Notorious B.I.G. or the locks catalog now you know yep. what i'm saying and i think the locks ended up getting their their publishing back but it's just like but look what they had to do right they, they had, had to, to go threaten to here. drop a refrigerator <laughs> yeah. off a building on puffy's right. head yeah. they were on hot 97 <laughs> right talking about yeah you know we about to drop a, a, a steel refrigerator off yeah. off this building on puffy's right car For giving up that publishing yeah. man but that's a lot of times they you know especially a lot of street dudes man we think we could just take that money and just flip it. and But that money, man, you run through that money no. so fast. Because the problem is that a lot of people try to live off of that money. And you think $100,000 is a lot. It's a lot when you've got already $100,000 to kind of yeah. live off of. But you think that's two years of income for some yeah. people. And these guys got children, different yeah. things like that. Like $100,000, you go through that in no time. So. Oh, yeah. And, and, and also look at the people who are doing that. They're doing it with only the foresight of an artist. Mm -hmm. The people who are buying their catalog are buying it from the perspective of a business that needs to be making money for the next 50, 100 years. So while a Biggie Smalls publishing, you know, the year that he came out might have only been worth Mm 100,000. When Biggie died, it was worth tens of millions of dollars. Exactly. Why do people think the Beatles catalog is so sought after? You know, like what? And Prince. Why? Why? Prince fought for his ownership of his music, you know, and then ended up getting it back a couple years before he passed away. But all of that can be passed down generation to families and things like that, you know, and and it's like once, you know, just say if you're an artist out there and, and, you know, you give up your masters and your ownership, uh, the people that's going to carry on your legacy are probably going to be your wife, your children and different. There's people that may not be knowledgeable in the music business. So now they have to learn it and figure out. All they know is that, hey, no money's coming in, (laughs) you know, so they're trying to figure it out. So, yeah, and it's deep. And like now we're seeing ways of monetizing music that didn't even exist Mm -hmm. when those artists were alive. Right. You know, they didn't have holograms when Biggie was alive. (laughs) Yeah. And Pac was alive, you know, but the fact that if their catalog and, and their paperwork was right, 
then they would be able to monetize every single new avenue. Mm-hmm. Streaming wasn't around right. when Biggie was around, you know, MP3s didn't exist. Yeah. So now you have all these new forms where artists can benefit. You know, music licensing wasn't even as big right. back then when they were around. All these new avenues that if you have your, your business in order and if you prioritized ownership, you know, then you'll completely benefit in a huge way and your family will be set mm-hmm. forever. And another way to benefit is like, just imagine if you license your music to a TV show, you know, and they used it like in a, somebody's in a bar or something like that and they've, you know, 30 second snippet. Like you gotta think, you're gonna get paid every time that streams. So, you know, if that goes into like, uh, basically, if they're playing reruns, you know, just imagine if you had a song on the Cosby show, kind of before they fell yeah. from grace, but you know, now, but with like all the times and all the reruns, like every time that, that song would play like you'd get a check from that you know what i mean so it's, it's certain things to think about man like a lot of artists just want that that now money don't yeah. don't be so quick to to get that now money that you just ruin your future like that man yeah yeah i totally agree and it's uh it's something you have to think about like think about it and uh, uh look at like the hotel industry i met these cats i was in uh where were we at was it two years ago we were in it might have been when we were in um, we were in Alaska. I'm trying to think of which city we were in in Alaska playing. And these two guys come up to the merch table and introduce themselves to me. Just normal looking dudes, look like fishermen dudes. Right. <laughs> and they buy my albums. That's typically the millionaire. Yeah, yeah. They don't dress. They don't dress for success. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and they were like, "Yo, they're like, your show was incredible. We're gonna buy your book. We're gonna buy. You know, they bought all the albums. These guys are like 25, 28. Wow. And they were like, "Look, um, here's my card. My name is such and such. Um, look me up. You know, my dad started." No, our grandfather started Super 8 Hotels. <laughs> we have a new hotel chain uh, in the Midwest. Are you, and he said, and we own an island out here. <laughs> this is not rapper talk. <laughs> no. Cats ain't owning islands out no, here. No, rappers man. ain't talking not, like that. You know what I'm saying? And the reason rappers ain't talking like that is because they're not ensuring that yeah. their grandkids exactly. are as rich and prosperous as they are. Right. Like so, clearly the guy who started Super Eight made sure that his grandchildren mm-hmm. owned that franchise, and through owning that franchise, could start their own. Right. They had a they they created an extended stay. I think it's called like My Place or My Something mm-hmm. out in um, in North Dakota and South Dakota. And I, I emailed the guy. I was like, Hey, I looked you up, you know, because he was like, Look, God, you don't just believe what I say. Google me. Mm-hmm. Here's my card. Yeah. You know, I'm the grandson. Blah blah blah. I was like, yo, man, cool. I looked him up, emailed him. The entire time we were in those states, we had free rooms. Right. They were like, I'll put the call in. They sent one email. We would stand free in all of those states. <laughs> so yeah, he's who yeah. he says he is. And you know what? As you speak on that, you start to see the cultural difference in that. Like certain people, certain races, certain generations, kind of teach their kids the importance of ownership. A lot of our, you know, our parents and grandparents a lot of them didn't own houses you know you know some of us did but for the most part like you got to think dudes that grew up in the projects there's no ownership in that you may own a car at the most but it's no they're not instilling principles and values about the importance of ownership and i think that starts to affect us as artists you know especially as black men out here and you see a lot of people you know everybody has a label but we know the money's not in the label. The money's in the distribution, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And so, but it's just one of those things I started when you uh, spoke on that. I just see the, like, the cultural difference in it. And so Completely. I try to preach, uh, you know, the importance of just ownership to my children. Yeah. And, and, and you know, they're seeing the example. Mm-hmm. Like, not only are you preaching it, they know that when you retire, right. should your catalog start popping and motherfuckers will go back and discover our era like they have all other eras are mm-hmm. wrapped. Like, yo, this superstition guy right. was dope. <laughs> exactly. His records are selling for $200 on eBay yeah, right and, now. And that's the funny thing is that I'm seeing that now. I'm already seeing certain things because I put out stuff is like limited release because I didn't want to, I don't want to oversell things. And sometimes it's just dope. I want to release something with like 300 copies and, and have it out there and just be dope. And then I'll move on to something else. Like it just adds value to it or whatever, man. And it's, man, it's, yeah. just, it's amazing feeling, man. Yeah, and your kids have that, man. And you would not be able to do that if you didn't own that. Right. Because what the, the what would be happening is the people who own the label yeah. will be passing <laughs> those albums down to their kids. Right. 
(laughs) just as Michael Jackson was able to pass down the Beatles publishing Mm -hmm. to his family that's what they would be doing yeah. to your albums if you're an yeah. artist. I always like the uh, the movie Ray when he goes in and you know he's renegotiating after he's got a little popular and success, and he's like, "I want to own my masters." They're like, "Hold up, wait a minute, Ray! Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, we don't do well, yeah, what kind of drugs are you on? Like, no, that's not being done, you know." <laughs> and it, he just he started to see that man. It's like it's almost like a pimp and hoe system. Man, oh, so. totally! Yeah. It's totally man. It's, it's all pimps and hoes, man. <laughs> pimps and hoes down out here, man. Right. The music industry is. The, is, is an extension of the whole industry yep. you know so that's number three number three is the ability to pass down an asset number four reason why importance uh why ownership is important uh and we get into this uh, quite a bit the incentive to promote <laughs> the incentive to promote yeah. i see this all the time because as an owner of a label mm-hmm. Yeah, I own the records, but I technically don't. But most times the perception is that the label owns the records. And when the record owns the label, I'm sorry, owns the records, the artist does not have as much incentive to promote. This goes for anything. Even if you look at the housing industry, the rental industry, who has more incentive to cut the grass? (laughs) Who has more incentive to fix a hole in a drywall? More incentive to fix that leak before it causes a hole in the floor and destroys the whole kitchen. The homeowners, right? Not, Not the renter. And because the owner has more incentive, the owner acts differently. And so what I try to tell Cass is like, look, the reason I can promote certain records harder than other records is because financially I own them. Mm -hmm. They're assets. I'll be passing them down to my kids, kids and grandkids and and family members. And that's very important. The flip side of that is the artist who are just acting like they're just there to rap. (laughs) They're there for the alcohol. Right. The girls, the cocaine. You know, whatever, and they want the 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 the, the pub, mm-hmm. but they don't care about actually promoting that thing as if they own it and will own it forever. Right, and and with record labels, it's so funny is that when when labels own these albums, like they'll they're willing to put money into it. We'll put twenty thousand. I heard a label tell me one time we'll put twenty thousand, thirty thousand in the promotion, and as I'm thinking, like, man, that could that could go to me, like. <laughs> You know, but but the thing is, like, and I ended up doing a um, basically like a 50 50 deal, non-exclusive, like all my stuff was non-exclusive. And it was one of those things where if they don't own it, they're not going to promote it. They're like, hey, it's your job to go out here. Because at that point, it's a partnership. Exactly. It's not it's not an ownership thing. Right. Yeah. And and that's different. Yeah, And it's it's one thing, too, uh, with with artists, you you have to realize is that once you kind of you take that money. Like it's, it's a responsibility, man. It's a responsibility you have to to do it, man. Yeah, yeah. And and then people are bound by the money, right? Right. You're bound by that. You just oh well, look, we just gave you twenty grand. Yeah. We were expecting you to go out and tour and promote this album, mm-hmm. and we're expecting you to do every interview now. Right. And we're expecting you to do all of these in stores, yeah. and we have thirty in stores for you in the next sixty days. Right. And it's painful to see artists that you think they're doing well. And they're not. It's one of it's that line that Fonte said, and you know, it came from White Men Can't Jump. Do you really want to win or look good losing? Man, it's a lot of people out there that you, you think they're winning, yeah. you know, <laughs> but you you look at their their financial situation. I remember first time going to New York. I won't even say the artist's name, but um, back in the day with college radio, yeah. just like the number one artist on college radio. You know, I was like, oh, this guy's running eight records everywhere. You know what I mean? He's doing yeah. shows. And I'll never forget going to New York, New York and meeting him and him not having enough money to get home. He had to borrow money to catch the train. Wow. And I was just like, yo, <laughs> like, like, nah, this this can't be the move, man. It's depressing. So, yeah. But a lot of artists are like that. Yeah. And you find what what I found and we found even just from going around and the nation and touring. There are guys who everything points to them being successful mm-hmm. yeah. except when you start to dig beneath it right. and say well once you know what success is and and, and how financial freedom mm-hmm. uh determines that you're like wait a minute right this guy ain't really doing what he wants to do right this guy is really kind of doing what he has to do all the time mm-hmm. he has no freedom in anything that's going on in his career yeah that's not success yeah he's just being pimped out here exactly. you know and, and again we're not saying that 
we would never sign a deal. Right. There are good deals out there. Yeah. And there are bad deals. Yeah. I think the good deals tend to look more like partnership than the standard record yeah. deal. I think deals, uh, record deals are convenient. Like at this point, I would do a record deal because the fact that I have so much in my back catalog. So it's kind of like if if you sacrifice that one album, yeah, you know, you, you can basically piggyback all your other releases off of that. So just say True. if you went out and you signed a, a major deal or whatever. Now I got the entire back catalog to kind of hustle and more people are going to start digging into your, your past catalog because they're going to be like, oh, y'all on this one? Nah, because everybody wants to prove they was down with the artist from the beginning. So yeah. everybody tries to go back and, and, and get the old stuff, man. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's just based on if you've got that experience and you got that negotiation power, man, you know. Totally, totally. And, you know, and uh, I had a conversation with Count. Shout out to my guy, Count Base D. Uh, we were on tour. We were talking about this. And he said he, his philosophy was like, look, because he owns – a lot of his stuff but there's maybe like one or two he does it and he felt like look i don't want to own all of my projects because i always want somebody out there who has incentive to push a record right, right, that's yeah. not me right so allowing other people to own some of his projects means he doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting all the time mm-hmm. and i thought that was a pretty pretty slick perspective because you know this as i could say oh yeah you got to own all your records but i don't own all my records right and the fact that rhyme Sayers own some of my records means that they have incentive to push those mm-hmm. which helps the bulk of the records that i have to push right. now i have a partner for those records and so it works out as long as i'm not getting jerked then I, it's a functional great relationship between right. me and them right and, and even with promo a lot of times it's 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 a false sense of what it's kind of like people see artists that are getting promoting and they think oh you know they're doing great they're doing great i can tell you i've made more money off of music on probably my lesser known albums like the deadline and chain letters like I made decent money from touring and things like that. But when I started putting out my own records, like <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because with record labels, a lot of times, like you got to realize that you're signing a, a record deal with them, but you don't know the type of distribution deal they're getting. So the label could be getting screwed by the distributor. Very true. And the label's getting a small percentage and you're getting a percentage of that. So it's just like you're getting crumbs at the end of the day, man. Mm-hmm. So it's like I, I try to tell people don't be fooled by who's popular look at who's successful there's a big difference in between fame and success and you know it's a perfect example is like when i went on tour with you um i remember this cat i won't even name him but the cast is like yo why you going on tour with him you should go on tour with like a j cole or somebody like that and i'm like hey that's that's cool but i was like just because you don't know who blueprint is does not mean that he's you know he's doing it but when when we released those tour dates, yeah. they're like, yo, hook me up with your mans. <laughs> like, <laughs> they caught the vapors. Right, you know? They caught the vapors. So it's like pay attention to who's doing it su- successfully and not who's out there being famous, man. Like, like, as if, the funny part about it is as if you could just call J. Cole. Right, exactly. Like, hey, you J. Cole, know. I'm yeah. superstitious. Yeah. See, people. It, I they, know you need somebody like me. I tell so. you, remove that fan aspect from it <laughs> and it makes a world of difference, you know? <laughs> fan aspect is like I bought all premiere records yeah. when I meet him he's gonna give me a beat cause I'm right. dope <laughs> it's gonna be like man who the hell are you man yeah, yeah, yeah. move that fan aspect just man. call anybody man right. that doesn't work like that man <laughs> yeah J. Cole what up yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. hence me never being yeah. on tour we released those one. tour dates and they're like yo how did he do it your man must be a fish <laughs> yeah exactly man. okay I must be sleeping yeah. man <laughs> Y'all got shows in Alaska. Damn, it feels good to see people up on it. Because <laughs> I remember when. First day wasn't. <laughs> that's, a, that's the realness, man. Okay, and then we, uh, we're we going to take a break and come back with the last one. But that was number four, which was the incentive to promote, man. Dope. So, yeah, we'll be right back. All right. To all the artists out there who are working on new projects, I would like to let you all know that I'm officially doing guest features again. So, if you're a producer who's been thinking of getting bigger names to rock over your beats, or you're an MC who's interested in collaborating on a song for your next album, reach out to me at info at printmatic.net to discuss the collaboration process and the prices. This is not a free service, so serious inquiries only. Again, that's info at printmatic.net 
I look forward to hearing from you all. Peace. Okay. Back on the block. Super duty to work. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, we got one more left for you guys. You know, we're talking about the importance of ownership. You know, we've went through five things with four so far, and we got one last one. And this is one that artists do not talk about, but it's something that I kind of learned through dabbling in the real estate thing. And, and it's a term called passive income. Mm-hmm. The, the number five reason why ownership is important is passive income. Now, to understand passive income, you got to understand active income right <laughs> active income is when you are trading time for money right pa- active income means you get a job and you say okay i have a skill you need somebody to do that skill for eight hours a day we come to agreement on how much that skill is worth mm-hmm. you pay me eight hours at a time boom end of the week you write me a check for right. my a lot time so live in active income yeah yeah you're living off of that so. <laughs> And, and active means you have to actually go get it. Right. Like you can't just, you know, you can't uh, syndicate yourself. Right. You can't do like the MF Doom where right. you like make doubles of yourself to yeah, go play exactly, shows for man. you. Yeah. You can't just take a week off with no pay. Like, right. You know, that can cripple some people. So. Right. Right. So if you're not working, you're not getting paid. Right. That's basically active income model. Now, passive income. I mean, this is a lot of people know but for those who don't passive income is the point where you you spend time up front creating an asset or a business asset could be a business it could be you know uh, anything a property whatever you spend time up front on that that item and from the point where you launch it it continues to generate income without you having to do any significant work on it. Mm-hmm. It becomes passive in that sense, not active. You don't, So rental property is thought to be a great source of passive income, as is like, you know, investments, you know, maybe stocks, whatever. So when you look at a rental property, let's say you're, you're a landlord, you find a property, you spend 50,000 on it. Let's say you spend another 20 rehabbing it. Okay, you're in at 70. Let's say the property's worth 120 or whatever. But you spent 70,000. But let's imagine it's in a great neighborhood. You can rent that property out for 1,000 bucks, 1,500 bucks a month. So obviously you're gonna have some years where it has to break even. Let's say four or five years it breaks even. For the next foreseeable future, the rest of your profit, all profit, you'll be seeing a $1,500 a month Mm -hmm. cash cow coming at you. It's passive income. You don't have to do anything significant. You might call a maintenance man every time somebody (laughs) moves out Hey, go paint the walls, fix the drywall, whatever. Uh, But you're not, you're not spending what you spent at the beginning and it continues to generate income. That's passive income. And a lot of us, like we're saying, a lot of us have active income. Touring is active income. You know, I have to actually show up to get paid to rap. (laughs) I can't just sit at home and they give me checks to rap. You know, so that's active income. But passive income is basically our albums. What we create as art is passive income because we get checks from iTunes, you know, Spotify, Pandora, things of that nature every month. And those who own more of those assets mm-hmm. get paid more and long after we stop recording and putting out music those assets generate income right so a great example of this is like the uh like the motown catalog you know motown hadn't put out any significant records in 20 years when barry gory sold it right <laughs> he, and he sold it for like what 60 million or something like yeah. that for the whole catalog this is supremes diana ross marvin Gaye, stevie wonder all these great artists who most of which weren't even active in the 90s mm-hmm. in the early 2000s and 2010s right. when he sold it but he was still able to sell all that because all of those songs are an asset that generate passive income every year it's no different than like a rental property or, or an investment or, or a stocker or something you own in a business. As long as that uh, asset is generating income, the owners of it get income. And then he sold it. And then the people who own it now are making more money because they're thinking, OK, 
it's just like how can we flip and bounce this catalog mm -hmm. and, and increase the profit of it increase the awareness so then it generates more so maybe you have like a motown 50 year anniversary right. that the owners of the catalog now want to do mm -hmm. not the not the artists yeah. the owners are going to say yeah it's a 50 year motown anniversary right. it's, like I, it's like i was saying about like don't think about now think about the future because as artists, you're not going to be an artist forever. Not all of us going to be artists forever. There's going to be times you choose to hang up the mic or, you know, whatever your 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 genre or your type of music is. And you're going to go back to work like me. I work a full time job. I was like, yo, I'm done with the full time rapper thing. That's yeah. my thing. I say I'm a part time rapper. But I'm telling <laughs> you, nothing's better than, you know, like, you know, working a regular job. But every month I've got. Check. passive income coming in <laughs> y'all didn't have to do anything yeah and this money's coming in so just imagine like you're working at your job and and every week you get like a every month you get like a 500 dollars bonus on your check you know what i mean like that money comes in and you have to think like it eventually it'll start to die down yeah at some point unless you're putting more things out or unless you're being active but there's nothing better than unexpected checks straight up <laughs> straight up makes the world go around man and it makes your job easier now now imagine that scenario as it relates to your family right. to your children and, and as we talk about if you're thinking long term there will be times when people are picking up your albums when you're not even doing this anymore yeah. or you decide you know what this passive income stream is going to fund the college education right. or it's going to fund my ch children's wedding Right. Or and I'm gonna sign everything that that relates to my label over to my mm -hmm. family, yeah. so that they can manage this now. A perfect example of like you think of somebody like a Jay Dilla who you know had uh, a lot of uh, you know esteem acclaim yeah. as he was older, but when he passed away, everybody loved Dilla. Yeah. You know he he had million he has millions of fans now. So yeah. you have to think like somebody, and that's why you see like the fight over his estate because there's a lot yeah. of money in that after yeah. you're gone. And that's really where most artists see, you know, <laughs> the biggest the biggest increase is when you pass away. Yeah, it's sad, you know? but yeah, you're worth more dead than alive. In exactly, exactly. <laughs> you think about it. You know, it's in music and in art. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after you're gone, yeah. it's just like, oh, we loved you. Yeah. You know, so now everybody's fighting over it. You look at like James Brown, like the I think James Brown, when he passed away, well, he was they still hadn't buried him for like three or four months. They were still fighting over his estate. Wow. The money. Where's the money going to go? You know, what kid's going to get this? What wife's going to get this? You know, it's just like, dude. Like. Yeah. And every time a James Brown record plays. Yeah. He gets paid. Somebody gets Somebody paid, gets paid exactly. still. Yep. And, and that's what we have to count on. And, and there will be scenarios where, yeah, the best option is to partner up with a bigger platform, a bigger label yep. to do that. But then there's a lot of scenarios where you're just you're, you're because you don't understand the dynamics of ownership. You're totally missing out on the benefits right. of it. And you're not right. setting yourself up and your family and your descendants up, yep. which is which is something culturally. We, like you're saying, we were never taught this. Right. We were never we never saw like, yo, no, you keep that. You pass that down. You know, you go do this so you can own. And when you own, you have more control. Right. And it's something that I was never taught in the music industry. Yeah. We just never got signed. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, well, we'll just put out our own shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then that taught us about ownership. But right. we didn't have anybody in the industry telling us like, hey, you know what? You're going to have some huge benefits of doing this yourself that are going to give you rewards for the next 10, 20 years. We didn't know that in 90 yeah, And I learned the opposite way. I'd kind of dived in head first and learned and just learned from experience. I was like, oh, shit, I'll never do that again. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things like artists, you really have to just as we're preaching ownership, man, because you got to think, man, people don't have as much money as they say they do. Like some of the, the most popular guys in this game, when they pass away, they need a Kickstarter. I'm like, wait. I thought they were the top guys. They had money, like family yeah. can't afford the expenses and things like that. So you really have to do this for for your family and your future, man. So and you have to make good decisions on it, man, because it'll come back to to bite you in the ass in the end, man. Yeah, you know, you have yeah. to think about it. Uh, you know, your just say you pass away or whatever, or your wife or your husband can't work. It's like there's no income coming in. You know what I mean? And trust me, when those royalty rates, the myth of royalties. <laughs> That could be all another podcast, <laughs> but trust me, yeah. the royalty rate, you may see some royalties, but for the most part, if you're not really selling like that, mm -mm. you're not going to see a lot of royalties. I'm sorry, man. Mm -mm. Not enough to live off of. So. No, yeah. no. And, and like you're saying, the way those deals are structured, 
and all the things they can tax you for to right. ensure they never have to pay you. Exactly. They're always in the red. That's <laughs> yeah. one thing I learned about. It's like, hey, man, this record's been out three years, man. Uh, why didn't we make it? Well, we're still in the red. Yeah. We're like, how are we in the red? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cam. Exactly. Sorry, like, <laughs> wait, man. But then, you know, yeah. Ed, when you put out your own record, you realize, oh, I'm not in the red. You oh. know what I mean? Because money doesn't have to change hands so many times. You're not dependent on people's services and things like that, man. So. It's true, man. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. man. So that, that was number five, right? Yeah. So let me reread these for the people, for the people at home, man, as we bring this to a close. You know, the importance of ownership. And these are five reasons why ownership are important. Number one was artistic freedom. No one can tell you what to do. Bars. Number two, <laughs> financial freedom. Church. <laughs> Number three, passing down an asset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Number four, incentive to promote. Say it again for the people, people in the back. <laughs> and number five, passive income, y'all. Passive right. income. I gotta say that one. That one is that one's deep. But uh, yeah, those are the reasons why important. All right, ownership is important, man. And uh, you know, this has been a real one, man. Yeah, this man. is bar. It's one of those things where, like I said, man, the guys that you think are winning aren't really winning. <laughs> and a lot of guys that are in the in the background, you know like are, are actually caking and, and making some decent money so you don't see them yeah exactly <laughs> and isn't that the way business works right <laughs> you know yeah. the, the place that i work for yeah. the owner he has an office i never see him <laughs> he don't even have a computer in his office he makes bread see? you don't see him but the guy walking around you know micromanaging yeah. or the guy you know breaking his back to do things you see him all the time yeah. so and he I'm probably got a nicer car than the owner exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> Man, so uh, that's it for this week, man. I want to thank y'all for tuning in and uh, see y'all next week. Yeah, I'm about to go listen to Gangstar the Owners. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to Super Duty Tough Work. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Follow the podcast on SoundCloud. that nobody know about. I mean, super duty, tough work. <laughs>